What we're going to do now, we're going to turn our attention to the scripture. The title of the message is Best Chapter Ever. So what we're going to be doing is going to be looking at Romans chapter 8. We're going to read it together so we can be encouraged by the public reading of the scripture. So if you want to stand to your feet, if you are able, we're going to be reading from the New Living Translation, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through verse 4. I will read the odd verses, 1 and 3, and if you could please read verse 2 and 4. This is the word of the Lord. Romans chapter 8, beginning verse 1, says this. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So the law, that's the law of Moses, was unable to save us because of the weakness of our own sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body, like the bodies we sinners have, and in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And Father, thank you that that we're here this morning in this tent. Thank you that you're bigger than our story. You're bigger than our failures. You're greater than our circumstances. You're stronger than any storm we face, that you are God and there's no one like you. Thank you for everyone here, everyone watching online. Father, I pray as we open your word, we'd recognize that we're just not opening up any book, but we're we're reading words that are literally breathed by God. They're authored by God. So, Father, I pray that as we read that, you, you'd give us understanding. You'd help us to grasp the meaning of Romans chapter 8. Father, I pray that we would make room for you in our lives. Pray for everyone here that we would do what you want us to do, that we would surrender to you. I pray that you would do this and you would do more in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Okay, Romans chapter 8, the best chapter ever. This is the chapter of chapters. In the book of books, the Bible considered the most powerful book in the world. This is the most powerful chapter in the most powerful book in the world. So it's going to take us about a month to unpack this, but today we're going to do the introduction. This is like scaling the Mount Everest of Scripture. This is like the summit of all Scripture. This is the book of the chapter of the Bible that if you were going to be on an island for the rest of your life, and you only had one chapter, this is the chapter that you would want. When you read it, it's such a monumental chapter that if you read it with an open mind and an open heart, it has the power to be a life-changing chapter for you if you internalize the truth that is here. So I'm going to give you the context. We always want to know context. I'm going to give you the context, and then we're going to look at Romans chapter 8. So just a few minutes to give the context here. But Romans chapter 7, if you were here last night, come on, Pastor Ron brought it. The guy rocks, huh? Is anybody here? So chapter 7 then is a picture of a man very much like you and me. Even though he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, a man very much like you and me who was struggling over his sin. He was struggling, you know, like us. Uh, He was flawed and he was failing, and he was imperfect, and he was struggling. And so he talks about that, that the struggle is real. I love that about the Bible, that the Bible is just so truthful and doesn't hide anything. So Paul then, while he's struggling and wrestling, it sort of escalates and kind of hits a crescendo where he makes a declaration about his own situation of his wretchedness, and he says this, Oh, wretched man that I am. 
Who is going to rescue me? Who's going to deliver me? Who's going to help me in the state that I'm in? Oh, wretched man that I am. Say, man, I am a mess. I'm in trouble. Sin is winning, and I am losing. And he says, look, I'm in the fight of my life. And and friends, all of us are in the fight of our lives here with the battle that is within. And he says, who is going to rescue me? And then he answers the question in the next verse. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ that he is able, that I receive his grace and I, I cling to the cross and I experience his peace and I receive his mercy. So he looks then to Jesus and so, uh, and he recognized this, that everyone stood condemned. He stood condemned before God, before he had a Damascus Road experience with the Son of God. And so the first three chapters of Romans are talking about how we're all condemned, how we're all guilty. It says we were children of wrath. We were facing an eternity without God. We were living under this weight of condemnation because sin is, is fatal and there's no human cure for it. So Paul is painting a picture there that, wow, we're all under condemnation. So with that background now, we're going to look at the, this remarkable reality of no condemnation, verse 1. It says this, So now, in other words, now pointing back to chapter 7 and beyond, all the way to chapter 1, in light of what you've already heard already, he says this, So now... There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus uh, or to those who belong to Christ Jesus. So he says, to those who what? To those who don't stumble, to those who never sin, to those who never stumble, to the perfect people out there, the perfect moms out there, no, not to them, to the imperfect people, the people of Rome here. But here's here's the catch. There's no condemnation to not everybody, but he says, those that belong to are those that are in Christ Jesus. In other words, they're possessed by Jesus. So people, you, you know, they live under condemnation. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 17, speaks directly into this. And after giving the famous verse in verse 16 about how God loves the world, no one would perish, says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So that is the good news. So it's saying here there is there, there's now no condemnation. We don't have some condemnation. We don't have a little measure of condemnation. We have no, none, zero, nada whatsoever. So there's not a hint, not a molecule, not an ounce, not a little bit of condemnation. So who does then this idea of no condemnation apply to? Well, it doesn't apply to everybody. It doesn't say, so now there's no condemnation for those who belong to the citizens of Rome. No condemnation to the gladiators who give their life. No condemnation to the people, no. No condemnation to those that are in, belong to Christ Jesus. And so it's not a flung wide open people that have responded to Jesus. He doesn't say it's the entire population. He doesn't say it's for the sinless saints. He doesn't say uh, to, it's, for, uh, the, the, it's for anyone there that has done this that have taken Christ and made it personal. 
So these are normal people that it's written to, normal people that are living in the bedrock of sexual immorality there. It was like X-rated, Vegas, out of control, immorality, you name it. It was that and more on steroids. There was idolatry. So into that culture that lives in a culture where they're, they're very familiar with uh, uh, an atmosphere of condemnation, he says, there is none to those that belong to Christ. So this speaks then of having a relationship, belonging to someone, belonging to a family, of a relationship with them. This means that when you have a relationship with Jesus, it changes everything, changes your relationship with condemnation. The Bible talks that we're like the bride of Christ, that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. We've been grafted in intimately to him, connected to him, engaged with him, walking with him. So that's who no condemnation is for. So I'd like to talk about that for just a moment, if you don't mind, condemnation. You okay if we talk about that? You all right? You're rather quiet. Is it okay if I talk about that? Yeah. So think about it. Think about culture. I'd like you to stop and think for a moment why this is so pertinent to us. Because would you agree with me that American culture has become a culture of condemnation? Would you agree with me? Would you agree with me? Yeah, okay. So uh, would you agree with me that uh, cancer culture is a culture of condemnation? Come on, somebody. You get, they cancel you, right? They condemn you. So that's, what it is. so that's where we're living, where it is continually everywhere happening there, where you see people ostracized, censorship, punishment, shaming online. And this is what we call cancer culture, where there's people like, I feel like they just kind of make the rules there. And if you don't go along with the rules that are subjective, that are sometimes politically motivated, not going to go there, though I want to go there, but... Uh, uh, but they're going to judge you, and they're going to condemn you, they're going to destroy you, and they're going to destroy your career. So everywhere we look, we're living in the reality of what he's talking about here, where if you break the rules that are deemed and deemed unacceptable, then you are punished, and you are banished, and you are canceled, and you are condemned, and that's it with you. And so when they say there's no forgiveness, there's no hope, we condemn you, and we cancel you out, and that's the world, friends, in which we live. And so into a crazy condemnation culture in America, a word from God about the reality of no condemnation in his kingdom. And so the reality is this. The very moment that you are in Christ, you are not condemned. You are not set aside. You have a no-condemnation status, a no-condemnation uh, standing condition before Almighty God. See, but what it does is it requires something of you. It requires a decision that involves faith. Because to be a Christ follower means to follow Christ. To be in Christ means that you've said yes to Christ, yes to forgiveness, yes to following Him, yes to going his way. So, so now if you're a Christ follower, you have no condemnation. But it doesn't say that otherwise. If you're not in Christ and you're separated from God, then you and Jesus have to get together. It's really simple. You and Jesus have to get together. And you got to make sure that you are belonging to or in Christ so this can be true of you. 
So let me ask this question about condemnation. Although there's no condemnation in Christ, those that belong to him, do we ever experience condemnation? Do do you ever experience it? Does your conscience ever cause you to feel condemned? Does your heart ever feel feel condemned? And so, thank you. One person, thank you. And so, some of us, we condemn ourselves is is what we're saying here. Though your heart may condemn you, even though there's no condemnation in Christ. So think about it. What do we do? We rehearse our failures, and we cannot forgive ourselves. We play the tapes of all the things that we've done wrong, like Paul said, all that could say, the wretched things that I've done, and we're mindful of our shortcomings, and we feel condemned, and we're so aware of all of our faults, all of our failures, and then we condemn ourselves. So if you're struggling this morning with condemnation, perhaps what you've done is this. You have fixed your eyes and fixed your attention and fixed your energy, not on Jesus, but on your past that you feel condemned by. So what I'm telling you is this, is that uh, through what Jesus has done on the cross, it's bigger than what your sin. We looked at the Bible that said, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. In other words, God's grace is bigger than your sin, which is condemning you. So let's talk about that for a moment. Like, how are we to deal with that? So when you condemn yourself, here's what you're doing. And you do. Many of you, you need to hear this because you condemn yourself. So let me tell you, let me, let me unpack your life for you right now. So when you condemn yourself, what you're doing is you're essentially saying this. And you're you're a Christ follower. You're essentially saying this. Jesus, you paid for the sin that I should have paid. But Jesus, I don't think that was enough. I know you can forgive me, but I cannot forgive myself. That's what people say. That's what people think. I know that, it's, that I should be able to receive it, but I don't think it's big enough, and I can't forgive myself. So here's my question to you. So when did you climb or kind of leapfrog above Jesus on the org chart for forgiveness? It's like Chris' question. When did you you leapfrog Jesus on the org chart? Where the reality should be this. I know I struggle with forgiving myself. I struggle. But what about accepting the forgiveness that Jesus gives you and applying it to yourself? If you'll do that, you won't continue to condemn yourself because you're accepting the forgiveness of Christ, no longer leapfrogging on the org chart of forgiveness and thinking that you're the king and receiving what he has done for you. So the reality is this, is that you condemn yourself. Is there anybody in here that maybe others condemn you? Huh? Come on, maybe your Facebook friends, social media friends. How about your family? Does your family ever condemn you? Is there anybody in here that your family condemns you? Yeah. So the reality is is that many of you, you've been condemned by your family. That's why sometimes we don't like holidays. Now we're going to have to deal with all the drama uh, of the holiday, and it's like you get post-traumatic stress syndrome, like post-traumatic holiday stress syndrome. How many people know what I'm talking about? Come on. 
And so I wonder if anybody experiences, maybe not even in here, maybe you know somebody that's experienced condemnation in their marriage. Okay, the reality is this. After you've been married for about 15 seconds, you can experience condemnation in your marriage, okay, where there becomes an atmosphere of condemnation that comes into the relationship. I'm just saying that it can happen. And so are there other ways you can feel, friends, are there other ways that you can feel condemnation? You got family, you got friends, you got yourself. Can you think of anything else? How about the powers of darkness? You think that could come into play? Does darkness condemn you? Do you feel that the prince of the power of the air, the one that the Bible says is the accuser, known as the accuser of the brethren, a tireless accuser, a slanderer, and you may hear those voice, the voice of, uh, you don't know where it's coming from, but he pronounces lies over you, which are so dangerous, you begin to believe them, that there's no hope for you, and on your best day, you're a loser, and on your best day, you're a jerk, and uh, how can God ever forgive you when all that you've done, you behaved so badly in your life there, and you're a hypocrite, and you're a joke, and you're this, and you're that, and you're a problem, and you're a burden, and you live under that, under that condemnation. So see, the reality is in culture, there's condemnation in your personal culture, maybe your family, inside your head, it exists. So that's the reality. Now I want to talk about what God does about that, the result of no condemnation number two. He said, watch, you can personalize it. He says, so now there's no condemnation for, I can slip in there, Rod Collins, who belongs to Christ Jesus. You can put your name in there. So now there's no condemnation, and you can put your name right in there. So, but then you, after you put your name in there, you have to live out the reality of this that we just talked about because you're, you have a new standing with God. So now, I want to talk about this. So now, in other words, now, right where you are, not in the future, but right where you are living in the present tense here, you don't have to wait to know if you have security with Christ. Right now, before you have your act together, right now, right in the middle of your struggle, right in the middle of your drama, right now, uh, in the middle of your sinful habits, and all that stuff you know that you shouldn't do, right now in the middle of all that, right now, not when you're praying more, not when you're reading your Bible more, not when all the wrongs that have been done against you are made right, right now, there's no condemnation if you're in Christ. It's amazing truth. It's a liberating truth. So now that you and Christ are united eternally, now that you are eternally free from condemnation, now that you've been forgiven, for everything, now that you've been forgiven forever, now that you're certain about your eternal future, there's no condemnation now, no condemnation tomorrow, no condemnation forever and ever and ever. That's the great truth of Romans chapter 8, verse 1 here. And so there will never be any condemnation. So it doesn't say no condemnation if you're perfect or if you're not stumbling, or you're not struggling, or you're not making mistakes, you're not falling. No. It says, now. So the, the word actually, in the original language there, the no was put in the front uh, to show its power. 
this preeminence that there is no condemnation like right now. It's awesome, friends. And so God is not condemning you. So what then? What then is the basis for no condemnation? Like, where does this come from? Well, the basis for no condemnation, it's not you. has nothing to do with you. Because we think in our own minds, well, I won't be condemned if I perform. Like, if I go to church, I read my Bible, and I pray, I don't cuss too much this week, and I don't whatever, then uh, I, don't, I don't go to the emptiness scene, or whatever. Then, then there'll be no condemnation. No, it has nothing to do with you. Nothing with your performance here. Nothing with uh, that. It's not us. Nothing about your worthiness. Nothing about your sinlessness. The basis of no condemnation, friends, is what God has done in Christ. You don't have to be perfect because Jesus is perfect for you. He's been perfect for you. So God took all the condemnation that was intended to be upon you and and placed it upon his son, Jesus. So I want to illustrate it this way. I want to illustrate it this way, and i got to get these books here to illustrate it. So I've got two books here. It's a big, fat, old book, big, fat, old book. And then there is a little skinny book, my Bible. So the big book is so heavy, but look at what it does. So imagine, if you will, with me, imagine, if you will, with me, that this book is the book of all the sins of the speaker this morning. This is the book of my sins. It's a lot of pages in that book, friends, a lot of pages. And uh, if you're wondering how many pages are in the book of Rod's sins, I'm not going to tell you. Not going to tell you. But the reality, the reality is, this was from the beginning of my life to where I stand today. All the sin of my entire life has been recorded in this book. Now, in the other book here, this book contains the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his perfect life contained in this book. So you have two books here. You have the book of Rod with all the sin, and the Bible says that what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did in sending his son, Jesus Christ. So I am weak in the flesh. There's nothing that I can do to overcome this. He said, the law was a schoolmaster to, to lead me to Christ. And so this is what happens. is Jesus takes all of my sin, all of my wrongdoings, and the Bible says he buries it as far as east is from west. He casts it. He buries it. Like he covers it. And so what he does is he takes his righteousness and he covers my sin Okay, and the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. It's called the divine exchange, the divine exchange. So that's what this is talking about here, that your book of sin, friend, yeah, let's give it up. That's your book of sin. We all have this book that you're, you're acutely aware of. I'm acutely aware of all the things I've done that are wrong. Okay, just like you, I'm acutely aware of those things, but I'm also aware that where sin abounds, grace is much, much more abound, and God's, God's grace is bigger than my book of sin, and therefore, there's no condemnation for Rod Collins and all of us here because of what Jesus has done, because this is the end of the story, not that. This is the end of the story. So yeah. So let me say, this book, what it's saying here, that 
this book has been eliminated. This book right here, uh, I don't have to pay the penalty for this book. I don't have to uh, uh, pay the penalty for this book here. And so God takes this and knows every sin on every page here. But the book doesn't have to exist anymore because I'm in Christ Jesus. I belong to him. So that's a beautiful truth of Romans chapter 8. So what does it mean? No condemnation. What does it mean here? It means that our sin is gone forever. It means that condemnation, not even an option. Not even an option for your life. We are completely free from the penalty of that book. And so no condemnation means that your status with God is that God is for us and not against us. We're going to talk about that later in Romans. That your sins have been forgiven. That you're free from the sentence of that book. You're under grace and not guilt. You're not rejected by God. So God is not angry with you. You think that he is, but God is not angry with you. God is not going to get even with you because Jesus has paid the price for your condemnation, dying in your place. So that's the reality. Uh, I'm going to talk now about uh, the reason for no condemnation. Verse 2, the reason. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Life-giving spirit. See, the Romans chapter 8 is a, is a, uh, a chapter all about the spirit. 19 times talks about the spirit, that we are indwelt by the spirit, that we are infused by the Holy Spirit with power to live a transformed life because I am in Christ and Christ is in me. So Jesus breaks the power of the sin nature. You know what I was thinking about? I just got to say this. It doesn't really have much to do with the message, but it's just bothering me a little bit. So I'm going to say it, that, you know, in the whole COVID world, the whole COVID world, like, um, we've been for 18 months, uh, we've lived in like this freak, out of control, freaked out state about COVID, and, and I get it, and uh, I'm a science type of person and all that, so I, I understand it a bit, uh, but we're so concerned about people's physical life, who's concerned about their eternal life? Like the sin issue. Like nobody talks about sin. All we do is, we, you know, sin can, can affect you for all of eternity. All of eternity, forever and ever. And nobody really ever talks about that. Maybe we are here this morning. But who talks about that? We just talk about this life now. What about talk about the, the uh, um, sin, which is 100,000 million times worse than COVID and affects you for all eternity? So anyway, I just had to say it. So... Jesus breaks our sin nature. He breaks it. His power breaks it. It says he has the power to break the sin uh, that leads to death or separation. So he gives you his spirit, comes into you, and you're under new management. It's like you got a new boss. Like your old sin boss is not the boss anymore. Now you got a new boss. So the spirit comes within you, and you see like under new management. We can all relate to that. Well, now God himself has taken over the management of your life there so that you're no longer controlled by sin and death. So you're no longer condemned. You're no longer under the power of sin. 
You're under the control of the Holy Spirit. I want to um, talk to you for a moment about John chapter 8 to elaborate and to expand on this point. So you may have heard this story in the Bible. It's kind of a a well-known story. Jesus there encounters the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. So what happened was is that, I mean, they may have set her up or whatever. It doesn't necessarily matter. But there's a bunch of Pharisees. They're basically religious thugs. Uh, They've abused her. They've used her. They've dragged her through the city there. They throw her before Jesus. Just imagine uh, the drama of that moment. And they say to Jesus, uh, with intent to murder her, uh, they're the, it's the mob there. They want to murder the woman. And they, say, they think they're going to trap Jesus. And so they say, Jesus, this woman, she's caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says that she should be killed. What do you say? And so they're, they're trying to, to trap Jesus. And how many people know that you just don't trap the Son of God? You know what I'm talking about? You, he's God, right? You just don't trap him. But they're so stupid, they're trying to trap him. And so Jesus then is standing there alone with this woman. And so what he does, he stoops down and he begins to doodle in in the dirt there. He's doodling in the dirt. And uh, Bible commentators, you know, have all these ideas and thoughts. One of them that may, and I don't know, but one of the things may be that he was writing down the sins of all the accusers. So there's like the rabbi. Okay, I think I'll write the rabbi's sin right there. And then and the rabbi's holding there, standing there with his, with his rocks, you know, ready to stone her, and sees the, oh, dang, that's like, that's my name there. And he says, you know, uh, you know, I, I have to get to the dentist right now. I think, uh, and so, and he leaves, you know, and then the next person leaves. That was funny. I don't care what you think. And so, but Jesus then says, woman, like after they've all left, says, woman, like, where's your accusers? And she says, looking at Jesus one-on-one, she says, I have none. And he says, neither do I accuse you or condemn you. And then he says, go and sin no more. I don't accuse you because I don't condemn you because I'm going to the cross and I'm going to die for your past. So the woman there caught in the very act of adultery, she had a past. The apostle Paul, he had a past. Friends, you and I, we have a past, but watch this. They didn't have to live in the past anymore. They didn't have to live under the condemnation of their past anymore. And a word from God, five words there, go and sin no more, changed their story. And I wonder if this word could change our story that you no longer live under condemnation, that you realize who Jesus would say, neither do I accuse you, but don't just keep living however you want to live. Go and sin no more. And so Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, Paul would say, the law of Moses was unable to save us. So Jesus sent his own son, verse 3, to end sin's control over us by giving us his son. There's the power. There it is. Uh, as a sacrifice for our sins. So one encounter with Jesus changed her life. I wonder if one encounter, you had one encounter with Jesus through the Word of God could not change your life. See, the law cannot destroy sin. The law cannot put it away. 
could not overpower sin. The word there, the written words, the Ten Commandments, could not convict us of sin that would bring life change, could not break sin's power. So Jesus then was sent by God to do what no one else or nothing else can do and break that. So I want to read to you what this looked like. Jesus literally would say this, I will bear the condemnation that they deserve by standing in their place. I will plead guilty, not for anything that I have done, but for all that they have done. He says, Father, I will take their place, and you must judge me so that they won't be judged. And I will pay the unpayable debt, and I will bear the immeasurable burden of their condemnation, and I will stand in their place condemned. And Jesus perfectly, with his righteous life, put it all on the line between us and God and died on the cross. And the cross screams, there is no condemnation. Every time you look at the cross, recognize that's where condemnation was canceled on the cross. Friends, this is the gospel and it's good news. And so to end, to end sin's control over us. Go and sin no more. And so I want to close with this. Jesus does all that and gives you, we talked about, his spirit, his Holy Spirit, the healer, the comforter, the one that enables you, the one that comes alongside and helps, paraclete, the one who helps you to live a new life. You don't have to live condemned anymore. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, well, so what? Okay, let me answer the question of so what. Here's what you can do with this message. Because of this truth, there's a couple things that are true for you. A couple things that are true. And uh, I want to invite the worship team up. But I want to talk about those because of this amazing truth. Number one is this. This can be yours. This can be your truth. It doesn't just have to be, oh, that was a nice Bible thing, and I'm going to go back to my life. No, this could be your truth, that you're no longer condemned because you, are, you belong to, you're in Christ. You can live, um, you know, you all have regrets. We all have regrets that we live with, measures of regret. But there's no regret that cannot be redeemed, cannot be forgiven by Jesus Christ. So you don't have to get your act together to say yes to this. All you need to do to qualify for the benefits of what we've talked about this morning is that you are a sinner. That's all you got to be is a sinner, and you qualify for the benefits to say yes to God. And so Jesus will take away all condemnation. Secondly, I want to say this. that like The pressure is off. The pressure that you feel like, uh, I'm a loser spiritually. Uh, I'm I'm a spiritually. I'm a failure. Uh, God must be so disappointed in me. The pressure is off there because God looks at you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not clothed in that, but clothed in the righteousness of Christ when you say yes to Him. So we're free, friends. We can be free. Uh, it's such a such a wonderful. You can see why it's the the summit of all Scripture here. I'm going to continue over the next month. So you want to stand to your feet. I want to pray with you. You want to bow your heads and close your eyes. And Father, thank you 
for your message this morning from Romans chapter 8. Father, I pray for everyone here. I pray for everyone wherever they're at. Um, you see our lives. And so if you're here this morning and you're thinking, I, I, I kind of want to believe. I want to I believe this morning. Jesus said this. He said, be not unbelieving, but believe. Jesus said, I want you to believe in me. So who would want to respond to that? It's an opportunity to receive Christ online or at home or here in the tent to take Jesus as your Savior and walk out of here with the truth, there's no condemnation anymore. Like right now, there's no condemnation. So if that's you, wherever you're at, online, in the tent, I want to lead you in a prayer, simple prayer, saying yes to forgiveness, yes to Jesus, yes to a new life, yes to uh, sin being no more condemning to you. So that's you, pray this prayer in your heart. Dear God, thank you for what you did for me. I take Jesus as my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross. I want to be right with you. I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. Fill me with your spirit and help me to walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.